In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. Um, so, this is going to be a little bit awkward. We uh, already recorded the episode. Uh, earlier Sunday morning before Jesse hit the road from Cham- back from Champaign. And uh, on his drive back, uh, Wisconsin released some news. Uh, Jalen Berger has been dismissed from the program. So in the original episode that we already recorded, we talked about Jalen and him not getting any snaps against Illinois and him not playing and what it meant and all that stuff. And that's still going to be in the show. But I thought we would get together real quickly when you got back and, and talk for a few minutes about the news uh, that Jalen Berger has been dismissed from the team. The news came through early afternoon. Uh, Paul Chris, no, no explanation or no reason given for that dismissal, but he becomes the third different uh, scholarship running back to lead the team, including two that have been now kicked off the team. Yeah, I think <laughs> I can't say this is uh, completely stunning, given how bizarre the, the playing time situation has been to this point. There was obviously some things going on behind the scenes because as you and I both know, there was no other way to dis- to explain what was happening. This is a guy that was the starter at the end of last season who took the first team snaps in every practice that we saw in fall camp. He split time with Chesma Lucy, but he was the guy taking the first couple carries and then doesn't play in the season opener. No reason is given. He says he can't discuss whatever that reason may have been. Then he plays in week two and his playing time just goes downhill from there. He Carries once against Notre Dame. Obviously, he didn't play against Illinois. So something had to give, whether it was entering the transfer portal or, or what has happened now. I suppose my question would be, how long ago did Paul know that this decision was happening? Is this something that he literally just maybe some new information came to light on Sunday? Because I, I have to imagine that's the case. Otherwise, why would Jalen have traveled with the team and been in uniform? Well, and did something happen after the game? which is also a possibility. I don't think it's fair to speculate on exactly what the reason behind it was. Uh, there are certainly rumors out there. I, again, I don't, as I said, I don't think it's, it's worthwhile uh, trying to discuss those. I, I do expect a full and uh, very detailed explanation from Paul Chris tomorrow on the reason that Jalen uh, that, uh, Berger is no longer on the team, don't you? Uh, I already know, and you already know what the <laughs> answer is going to be. I tried to ask him why Jalen didn't play, and he gave us one sentence. Uh, so that might be as much as we get. Yeah. Again, I, I think it is certainly something that is not new with, with Jalen though, because if you look at, I mean, the, there was certainly something that happened in the, before the Penn state game or, or there was an issue going into the Penn state game. You don't be the guy that he is and then just not play. I th- I th- it, I, is that fair to say? Uh, yes. That, 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 I, like the, that, what I'm saying is like, like this isn't just a to, like a this week type of thing. No, no, it's it's not. I, part of me does wonder how much has to do with the way Chesma Lucy comes in, who wasn't a part of the program last season and established himself as the starter. Um, you know, because again, I think Jalen, who's not somebody who talks very much, did say some things when I talked to him last week about the frustration of coming in thinking you're going to be that top guy and 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 handling that frustration and not showing it outwardly. And, and I, I do wonder how much that played a role in things that you think you're going to be one thing. And all of a sudden you're not, and you, you've 
you've kind of been that guy. You, you know, he's a four-star running back. He was the, I think the highest rated running back that they'd signed since um, John Clay, like the, the second highest in the online ranking era. So I do wonder how much that played a factor as well. Right. Do you think there's a, an issue within that room or do you think I mean, it's just the, or do you think these are just isolated incidents? Uh, you know, obviously with the answer between loyal Crawford and Antoine Roberts that got legal, uh, for, for loyal, he is, uh, was, was charged and obviously Antoine Roberts decided to transfer. And now you have this situation. Is there, and certainly Julius Davis not being on that trip, uh, something his father uh, uh, tweeted out makes it seem like he's not going to be around very much longer. So is there an issue within that room? Well, there's an issue from the (laughs) number of players standpoint, but I, I, it's, this is, that would all be speculation and it's difficult to know how to answer that with all, all the facts. But the other thing that is certain is they've got a new running backs coach. He spent seven years with the Dallas Cowboys and he didn't recruit any of these guys. He didn't even recruit the, the two freshmen that came in that are no longer with the program. So I don't know how much that plays a role in it. Uh, the, what he's looking for in a running back. I, I, mean, I don't, I don't know. And that has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, loyal Crawford was dismissed or that a guy, I, I don't know. Like the fight isn't his fault, obviously involving those two freshmen, but I, I just wonder how much having a new position coach in place who may be looking for different things impacts what these guys roles are. I was just uh, watching TD, as you said that, and uh, Braylon Allen, I don't know if you saw, he launched his brand this week. Did you see that? Did you see that Braylon Allen has a brand now? Um, I might have seen that in passing, but when yeah. it was on TV. Uh, yeah, Iron Jock, and uh, yeah, because he's he's an Iron Jock athlete, and just okay. yeah, just just threw up the W here uh, as the Packer game is at a commercial between the third and fourth quarter. So, where would they be? <laughs> where would they be without Braylon Allen reclassifying and then end up playing and running back and Ches Malusi transfer? Maybe <laughs> in deep, and they. I don't think obviously. Well, maybe maybe the situation with Jalen is different. Yeah, maybe, I think maybe, it very well would be. Yeah, so that's me I mean, speculating. But. Yeah, for sure, um, they they'd be hurting right now, and so obviously it's a it's a huge huge benefit for them to be where they are. But uh, yeah, man, that is um, that's big news. I I don't think it's unexpected. It's unexpected that it came at this point, but it's not unexpected that he's no longer a part of the team. You know what I mean? Like it 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 felt like it was going this way. I just didn't necessarily expect it within the season. Yeah, and I do think it's also worth the, – the question that is next is where does Wisconsin go from here, not just for the season but also after the season. Obviously, what they got out of Malusi and Allen is what I expect. That's how I expect them to play the rest of the season in terms of those two guys being one, two, and if Isaac Arendo is healthy, he's the third guy. But now you've lost three scholarship running backs – and you don't have any running backs that are committed in the 2022 recruiting class. They, they had offers out to nine guys, all nine guys committed elsewhere. Now, they are, they are in the running for a kid named Jaden Ott, who's from Norco, California. He's decommitted from two different schools. I don't know whether Wisconsin's going to get him, but it's very late in the cycle uh, to pull a rabbit out of the hat in the way that they did with Jalen Berger a couple of years ago, who committed um, after the season on national TV. So to me, I think this is a a classic transfer portal situation, unless they wind up getting this hot kid 
which I don't even know if that would be enough to, to fill out the running back room. I, I'm very interested to see what Gary Brown and this staff does in recruiting running backs in the next couple of classes because they need them. In your mind, is it, poss- is it hard to fathom their inability to consistently recruit really, really good running backs? <sighs> yes and no. Um, I think the obvious answer and the, the thing like fans always get frustrated about your Wisconsin. You've got all these guys who are Doak Walker Award winners. Why can't you get all the four and five star running backs? For whatever reason, it is difficult. Um, obviously, all, all these guys are, are out of state. That can be a challenge, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I asked John Settle that question in the spring, and one thing that he said that I don't really know how true it is, but he was talking about that they would get five-star guys on campus when Jonathan Taylor was here, and they were sort of like scared off, which makes no sense. I mean, I, I guess if you see one guy getting that many carries, you wonder what your role is going to be, but if you're a five-star guy, you think you can come in here and, and get the job done. But what they've done over the years is it's kind of the same thing to get mostly a three-star guy and develop him over the years until he's as good as anybody. Do I think they should be able to, to get a higher caliber running back? Um, yeah, but I'm not the coach that's on the road trying to do all the recruiting and trying to convince someone to come here. And maybe Gary Brown is able to do that. I don't, we don't know what his strengths are as a recruiter. He, he obviously didn't have to do that in the NFL. Um, they've got a lot to sell there and they've got a lot of opportunity. So I, I, I don't know where they go and what they do, but it, it is sometimes head scratching to see uh, how challenging it's been to get guys. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's get into the the rest of our show. Uh, as I said, we already recorded this before this Jalen Berger news came out. So any of the Jalen Berger talk that's within this, please uh, just understand that that's when it was. Again, here's the rest of our show. And the Badgers won a game against a Power 5 team, kind of. Illinois. <laughs> Wisconsin beats Illinois 24 to nothing. Their first shutout, though technically the defense got their second shutout, but either way, I guess not technically, essentially their second shutout. They took care of Illinois yesterday, limiting them to 100, under 100 yards. Certainly an impressive performance on that side of the ball. And Wisconsin's offense, especially the running game, showed up and dominated in uh, the fashion I think we expected them to do much of this year. But uh, it was impressive, especially Ches Malusi. And Braylon Allen, both of them over 100 yards. First time they've had two 100-yard rushers in a game since 2018. You know, Jack Sanborn said at the beginning of last week, we just need a win, and they got that win. And it doesn't necessarily make everything better, but certainly makes them feel slightly better, Jesse. (laughs) Yeah, I would think so. And I thought it was notable when Paul Chris talked to us after the game, which, by the way, they, they put it for people listening essentially in a large garage so we could talk to him outdoor. It was definitely a new uh, setting for an interview. But he said that he challenged the team earlier in the week, basically telling them, let's play with a lead. And that was a, that was in response to a question about how well the de- defense had performed against Illinois, because I think we all know that the defense has played well enough for the team to have more than one win in the first four games. But the offense responded. It wasn't perfect. It was far from perfect. They had an 18 play drive early and, and only kicked a field goal. They had a couple of turnovers, but they gave the defense a lead and did just enough. And the defense took care of the rest. To me, though, it is the Malusi and Allen story. That is that is one of the big takeaways from the game. Yeah, the two combined for 
what, 276 yards of the 391 yards that they ran for. They averaged, Braylon was over seven yards a carry. Chez just below seven yards a carry. They both had uh, a couple of 23-yard runs. I think Braylon actually had two of them. His touchdown was also a 23-yard touchdown run. But I thought more so than anything, they ran with some vigor. They ran with some intensity. They ran with some emotion. They ran with angry uh, intentions. Uh, I don't even want to say bad intentions, just intentions to get uh, through guys. And we heard Jake Ferguson after the game, kind of what he tells Braylon Allen every play, just go run through somebody's face. <laughs> yeah, that was a good quote. I thought Ches Malusi gave some of the best quotes I've heard from him so far this season. It probably helps that he's talking after a win since he hasn't been used to losing when he was at Clemson. But they ran hard. That is one of the first things that stands out. And especially, it's not a surprise that Braylon does that. He's 238 pounds. We saw what he did on a handful of carries that he got a week ago against Michigan when he just pushed the pile forward. But with Ches, there was a run early in the game that really stood out. It was on the first drive. He, or it was, it was on one of the first drives. He plowed over a defender and ran for 13 yards down to the, the Illinois seven yard line. And you could just see the intensity and emotion that he had after the play, the way he was carrying himself. And he talked about that after the game. He said, I've been labeled as kind of like a scat back. And he said, I don't really care for that. And I feel like I'm, I'm a very balanced running back. And I definitely ran with a purpose today. And, he, and then he went on to say that his whole mindset coming into the game was that he didn't want to make people miss. He just wanted to run through everybody. And we saw that consistently from a Lucy. So he, he definitely was a man on a mission and he mission accomplished. But the one, two combination with him and, and, Braylon Allen is is very interesting because I think it's what we're going to see the rest of the season, assuming both those guys are healthy. It's certainly hard to see Braylon having a lesser role given what he did. And it's a nice combination. And Malusi talked about that too. Malusi's a bit of a smaller guy. Braylon comes in and I think he's got some, some extra gears too, because he talked about the 23 yard touchdown run. He had three runs of 20 plus yards uh, or two, two runs of 20 plus yards. And he had a, a 17 yard run as well. So I really like that combination. And I know we'll get into what that means for the rest of the running backs, but just to start out, those two guys really delivered. And I think we'll see more of it. Yeah. I don't want to talk about Jalen Berger just yet. Um, <laughs> Too soon. Right. Yeah. But no, I, the, the funny thing about it is, you know, Braylon still so not inexperienced as running back, but still so young. I mean, and just, he is inexperienced as a running back, though. Right, right. He is. No, there's no doubt about that. But he's also just 17. And I'm sure I don't know if that was pointed out on the telecast yesterday. We weren't listening to it, obviously. I would assume it was pointed out. He was 17, should be still in high school, and he's running through dudes like he's a senior. Anthony Davis, who jacked himself uh, in his uh, playing career, former Badger running back, but and has gotten even bigger after that, just said the dude looks like a senior that's been through multiple off-season training, um, you know, weight training program, and he hasn't. But you just, you know, you put on the film and what he did. But the funniest thing about yesterday was Jake Ferguson wanted him not to run through somebody's face on a run. He wanted him to jump over a guy uh, on that one run. Was that, I think it was the, the first 23-yard run that he had. He had a, uh, the safety was all alone. And Braylon's like, I don't, I didn't really know how much, you know, what to do. There was perhaps too much space. And he said he made his move too early, but Jake Ferguson was apparently yelling at him, jump, jump, 
jump because that's what guys are going to do. That's the only way you're going to get him on the ground certain times is go after his legs. And the safety went after his legs and got him down. Had he leaped him, maybe he gets into the end zone. I don't know. Probably not. But it was still a really impressive performance from him. Hey, easy for Jake to say. He wasn't the one who right? had to make the jump. I mean, if you, if you do not execute that jump, you're in big trouble. There was a great one in the, in the Michigan game against Nebraska last night, by the way. One of the best runs I've seen the whole year. But uh, with Braylon, I, I think there is certainly some inexperience there, right? He, he played running back as a senior in high school in the spring season and hasn't had many carries. But he just looks so natural because of his ability. The, the play that stood out to me that we haven't talked about was the one where <laughs> he got tackled. His knee never hit the ground. He rolled off the guy and he kept going. The fact that he had the presence of mind to do that really said a lot about kind of his, his football IQ as a young player. Unfortunately, the official signaled the ball carrier down, which was kind of inexplicable. And Paul Christ was livid on the sideline yelling at a couple of officials. But Braylon just, there's a reason why they put him at running back. I think early in the season, there was perhaps a vocal minority of, of fans who were wondering why are they wasting this talent if there are going to be four running backs ahead of him. And right now, uh, there aren't four running backs ahead of him. I just I don't see at this point him having a different role. Running back seems to be where he's at. And the, you have to think that the more opportunities he gets, the better he's going to be. There's just no other way around it. Yeah, I think that probably is a question for Jim Leonard on Monday is, uh, do you ever expect to get Braylon <laughs> Allen on your side of the ball again? I'm guessing he's probably saying no at this point, but yeah, th those two were a, a really nice one-two uh, combination. Then after him, it was, I mean, obviously John Chanel got uh, nine carries, 28 yards, got in the end zone, his fourth touchdown. He had a nice little uh, motion W essentially shaved into his head, went a little Vince Beagle on it with it. I don't think he, I don't think he had the mullet to go along with it, but he, he did have the uh, motion W on the side of the helm on the side of his head. Oh, Hey, fullback dives work. And uh, if they don't work the first time, like they didn't on a third and two, give it to him again on fourth and one to make sure it get, gets, uh, gets through. Like they did in the, uh, what was it? The first quarter yesterday, or maybe it was the, the second quarter. I don't, the game, if we're being honest, Jesse, the game wasn't overly exciting, right? <laughs> No, not okay, the most right, exciting right. game. Glad yeah. they ran the ball a lot, though, because the game went quicker. Yeah, they ran the ball 61 times. Ches Malusi, 21 carries. Braylon Allen, 18 carries. Brady Shipper, 6. John Chanel, 9. Ram Mertz got a couple. Had a nice little 11-yard run. Kendrick Pryor got a couple of jet sweeps. Uh, would have had uh, another carry had uh, Chimray DK not uh, held on a play. Jim got uh, a carry. Even Jack Dunn got a carry. Went two carries, four yards. Who I, didn't get a carry, Zach? Well, that's the thing. Like Jack, I like I wanted to shield my eyes from the timeline when Jack Dunn got the carry on the uh, <laughs> on the jet sweep. Nothing against him at all, but uh, there are some some vocal opponents of Jack Dunn on online. You know who didn't get a carry, Jesse? I think I do, but go ahead and spell it out for the listeners. J A L E N B E R G E R. Jalen Berger did not get a carry yesterday. Didn't even step on the field. He was there, which I guess is uh, at least one step ahead of Julius Davis, who was not. Jalen Berger is not a part of this offense right now. And Paul Christ, you attempted to get him to answer a question about Jalen Berger, and he totally punted on it, saying we liked what we were getting from Malusi, Allen, and Shipper. I don't really understand. I, I don't get it. There's something there, obviously, but 
I can't imagine he's overly happy. And you remember, we talked about this this last week. I mean, I, you talked to him last Monday and it was about, you know, his he needed to be good with how he reacted to things not going his way. Right. Like that was kind of what his his issue was or what he thought his issue might be. And he may have he must not have reacted very well this week because uh, he was nowhere close to even being in that game. By the time that they were giving carries to Shipper and Chanel back, you know, late in that game, he had his helmet off, was standing like the 50, nowhere close to running backs coach Gary Brown. I do not understand what's going on. On the surface, it would seem to be inexplicable, which means there is something beneath the surface that we are not aware of. Because I thought after the week two, we he didn't play the Penn State game fine. So there, there was must have been a reason despite the fact nobody wanted to talk about it. But then he goes out and he carries 15 times against Eastern Michigan. He plays 23 snaps. It looks like... Of course he carried the ball 15 times. Of course. But he managed to not carry 15 times the next week. (laughs) But um, yeah, so he plays 23 snaps. And and I think, I don't want to speak for you, but I certainly thought, well, this is the one-two combo that we thought we were going to see this season. It's going to be Malusi and Berger. And we haven't seen it again. He played... 10 snaps against Notre Dame, carried one time for eight yards. And then he he played 14 snaps against Michigan. Now he carried eight times only for 18 yards, but for him not to play at all, it just, it doesn't make any sense when you consider how talented he is, what he did last season to earn the number one running back spot. And that's what makes you think that there's gotta be something else going on. And and as you said, I I talked to Jalen on Monday and was talking to him about what these frustrations were. And he, he, as I talked about earlier in the week, he said, of course, it's frustrating. You come in thinking you're going to be the top guy and then you lose your spot, but it's, I have to control what I I have to control. And and he said that what he thought the thing was that was preventing him from potentially earning a spot back was that he was showing his frustration too much that, that maybe he shows it on his facial expressions on the sideline. And that's something he has to work on. I don't know if that's the reason why he's not playing, um, all we do know is that he is not playing, that Brady Shipper is involved in the game plan. And, and I'm not knocking uh, Shipper because w- he did everything he was asked to do in the game on Saturday. There was a third down play where he came out of the backfield. He caught a pass for four yards, got the first down. He gained yardage on the carries that, that he was asked to take. So it's not about Brady Shipper. It's more about Jalen Berger and, and as an overall talent that his ceiling certainly higher than Brady Shipper, which everybody can agree with. And, and if that's the case, and we should also mention that Isaac Arendo did not play. He was a game time decision. Um, we don't know why he didn't play, but wasn't able to go. And they didn't bring Julius Davis on the trip, wasn't on the travel roster. So you add up all those factors. There's just no real reason why Jalen shouldn't play um, unless something else is going on. And it leads you to, to wonder what the future holds for Jalen. Will he even be here in the future? This is speculative and it's very early, but when you're a player that talented, you're a four-star running back and you come to a place like Wisconsin and it's not working out, just makes you wonder where he goes from here. Perhaps not famously, but I, I will never not uh, remember it. A couple years ago after the Rose Bowl, after the 2019 season, I was like, there's, there's no chance that, uh, Deron Harrell is going to be back here next year. Two years later, he's still here. He's not playing, but he's still here. So I'm not going to make any grand predictions on whether Jalen Berger or Julius Davis are going to be gone, but certainly have to think that uh, there's a good chance that they will not be around if this keeps up. And I mean, and certainly Julius, 
I mean, not even being a part of this whatsoever, but then Jalen's the up and down nature of his workload. I, I just, I just don't, I don't see it, but again, I'm not going to make any predictions because you just never know. And you're right. It is early. There's still what, you know, seven more games here and uh, plus the plus a bowl game if they make it. So they, there are a lot of opportunities still out there, but it just doesn't, you know, with the way Malusi's playing, the way Allen has certainly stepped up his game, it just doesn't look like there there would be enough to go around for him. I guess we'll see, but I don't really know what he could do to to get back in there. You know what I mean? Like it, it appears at this point that he's either on, he's either, he's clearly done something, but he must be in the doghouse of, uh, of Gary Brown, similar to, I thought, you know, that, that uh, Julius Davis was kind of in the doghouse of, you know, John Settle, but that apparently is just, he's just in the doghouse for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I, I clearly something else, something more is going on, even though we, aren't going to get a, a straight answer I wouldn't expect but it's it's yeah. this is a storyline that we're going to be following the rest of the season is it worth uh, pointing out now here that uh, the offensive line created some holes for these guys I think after, it is given how maligned yeah. that unit has been yeah so a week after uh, playing their worst game of the season perhaps uh, the worst game of the well 2015 there were a lot of bad performances in 2015 but I, I would say probably one of the worst performances in the Paul, Paul Christ era against uh, Michigan, the offensive line came back and and uh, did open up holes. You have to wonder if it's just Illinois, but if you look at Illinois' stats, and I know stats aren't everything, they were they were allowing 3.7 yards per carry. They were allowing 126 yards per game, and Wisconsin just mauled them, mauled them, and um, it was uh, I thought it was a really impressive performance from them. I, again, it's Illinois, so you just don't want to put a ton of ton of it on it, and they'll have their opportunities against elite competition coming up in a couple of weeks when Iowa comes to town, but I think it was a good step in the, in the right direction. Yeah, it definitely was. One noticeable difference I thought was that Joe Rudolph used the same line for most of the game that he went with the reserves later when the, the game was basically over, but earlier in the season, it's been a talking point every week was that he was rotating his interior linemen. Three guys were coming in, four guys were coming in. And when I was talking to center Joe Tittman after the game, he, he said that, like everybody, whatever, basically whatever Rudy decides to do, I trust him with it. But he said, for me personally, I think it could have helped me this game when I was able to, to just be in there and cut it loose. I do think part of that probably had to do with the fact that they didn't have Logan Bruss. So he, he, was, he was at the game, but he was not in uniform, and they started Tanner Bordellini in his place at right tackle. The other four guys were the same starters. Um, so maybe they just wanted Bordellini to settle in there. But they played really well. And I think took some heat off their shoulders a little bit because they were just completely dominant. That's a big reason why they had the ball for over almost 43 minutes. That was the, the highest time of possession for Wisconsin in a game in 12 years. So they did what they had to do. And that's a good thing for Wisconsin. I was, uh, yeah, I was talking to, to Joe and he talked about how Rudolph had a message, violence and velocity. Yeah. Was, was, I don't know if he mentioned that to you as well. I, I'm guessing he probably did. Um, but violence and velocity, and that's what they wanted to play with. And they did, they kind of like Braylon Allen run through people's faces, maul these guys. And, and it wasn't really, and that maybe Illinois isn't at where they need to be, as I've said before, but you need to, it kind of like the Jack Sanborn, you just need to win. The offensive line just needed to, to have a good day running the ball against a power five opponent. And that's exactly what they got yesterday. And, yeah, it was uh, huge. Yeah. And and I thought Tyler Beach, who's been a quote machine, had said some good stuff to say too, because he he talked about that 
like what that's what they want to do run the ball he said that's really fun especially when you're pulling and hitting the crap out of guys and he said that mindset coming in was that they wanted to get as many yards as they could you know they 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 didn't say they wanted to get x number of points but he said that the message was forget everything else let's just go out and beat the brakes off guys and that's what they did so it was really it was like sort of an old school badgers performance even though the offense still has some challenges you, I mean, this was a game honestly that other Wisconsin teams probably would have won by 40 plus points, but it was a good starting point for the offensive line in the running game. I didn't have time to look this up, but I kind of mentioned to you yesterday, they had three runs of 23 yards, but usually when you run for close to 400 yards, you have a long, like long, long run in there somewhere, kind of like they did against Eastern Michigan with the Chez run and the um, Isaac Grendo run. They didn't have that yesterday. And yet, they still were able to put up those type of yards um, despite, you know, I, th- those are certainly explosive runs. 23 yards is explosive, is an explosive run, but it's not the long run that we've come to expect like out of a Jonathan Taylor, even, you know, Chez and, uh, and Isaac and going back to Melvin Gordon, like they all, when they ran for this type of yardage, it was big, big runs. I'm thinking about the Purdue game in, in 2018 when JT had that long 75 yard touchdown run. Like those are the type of plays that, um, usually you expect in a running performance like this, and they didn't have that. I don't think that's a good. I, I I don't think that's a good thing, but I think it's a notable thing that they were able to do what they did despite not having uh, one of those explosive runs in there. I, I got I should probably use a different word than explosive. Long run, long run. You know, sixty plus yard run. But they did that, and it was good. And you would have thought that that would have helped out in the passing game. And they had, you know, Graham made some okay decisions and, and okay passes. I thought, especially in the third quarter, hit uh, Chim Ray DK and hit Gedrick Pryor and some, some throws a little bit further down the field. But I think a lot of people will probably be pointing to a couple of throws that he did not make, specifically the one, the, the two, the one to Kendrick down the, down the sideline where he had a, a really good step on the cornerback and the free safety was able to get over and make a play on the, on the interception because the ball hung up there. But Graham said afterwards that uh, it wasn't about, you know, the ball hanging up. It was about getting the ball out quicker when he, ha- when he still had an opportunity and probably obviously needs to look out, the, look off the safety a little bit too, just not allow him to have that much time to get over and make a play on it. And then the other one was Jake Ferguson on what should have been a touchdown. And Graham said that he didn't actually uh, see how close the guy was to making a play. He just didn't want to overthrow Ferguson. And I asked him where the ball should have been and, we were outside on the field making with those interviews and he's like right there. And I'm like in the end zone, he goes, yeah, right there. And he's like pointing towards the end zone uh, exactly where the, uh, the ball should have been. And so obviously he probably wants those two back. And then also there was, there was one on the first drive where they had man coverage and they cleared everybody out uh, running routes to the, uh, to the left and, and Danny Davis coming back underneath on a, on a shallow cross and Danny was wide open. I, it, it was almost a perfect play for the coverage that Illinois had. It was playing, they were playing man and there was a whole bunch of um, picks, I, I think is uh, the term you would, you would use legal picks, I guess. And, and instead he went for Chim Ray DK in the back of the end zone. It was incomplete. Yeah, it was not Graham's finest day. He finished the day 10 of 19 for a hundred yards no touchdowns again and one interception. So that means now he's got what two touchdowns and seven picks this season. Um, he didn't have to do a lot kind of like we talked about in the Eastern Michigan game, but he, he needed to do a, a little bit more obviously to instill some of that confidence. It's just been really hard to have sustained success. He had those two drives at the end of the first half a week ago. And you think, okay, this, this could be the starting point for him for the passing game to get rolling and then he gets hurt 
Um, I, I don't know what, I don't know what to make of, of his performance so far this season. Is this just who he is at this point? Um, because we, we consistently see that there are throws that are there to be made and you just address three of them and it's not properly executed. And so, you know, I don't know if it's a, a timing thing, if, if the speed of the game, because a lot of it seems like there are guys open and he doesn't see them. I mean, obviously sometimes he's under pressure and if he has to move his feet in the pocket, I think that can be a challenge. So I don't know what they do with him, to be quite honest, to, to get him rolling a little bit. Yeah, but I think it like the, the throw to Kendrick is timing, right? Like it's just get the ball out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the one to Ferguson is, you know, you can't really couldn't really necessarily. He said he couldn't see the guy, how close he was. Your tight end is, is wide open. Just, you know, give it a little bit faster and it's a touchdown. Like, I think that there are he just is he physically capable of making those throws. Absolutely. All right. He's made, we see him make, and, and he made a handful of them as well. You know, if, I, if we're going to talk about what didn't go well, I thought there were some moments, especially as you mentioned in the second half, where he made some of those big time throws. Right. So, like, we know he can make them. I know people are sick of hearing that. But it, it, to me, if you can make those throws, then it's about getting back and doing it consistently and, and, and being able to hit on those consistently. That is the, the key to it. It's, it's one thing if you don't have that in your arsenal. Like, if you just can't do it, I think you can. I think you can uh, work on it enough to get to the point where you can consistently make the throws that you need to. We saw it against Michigan. We we know we can make certain throws. It's about setting your feet. The throws down the field are a little bit different than I think some of the the misses close to uh, the line. I, when he's close to the line, I think it's and they're miss. His his f- footwork is just not good. His his feet like the. So we we kind of talked about it. The throw to um, Ches Malusi that was going to be you know if if he just puts a little touch on it and instead he throws it over his head on the sideline, you know, Ches probably, you know, getting 15, 20 yards on it and he th- overthrows him because his feet certainly aren't anywhere close to being set. He's outside the pocket. I think, you know, some people have talked about getting him on the move and I, I don't necessarily think that's always a good thing with him because then his feet get all kind of out of whack. So again, I, I know people want it to happen now. They want it right away. And yet, you know, it's, he's still relatively young and I don't think, there's any other option, and I think he's got the ability in him to get it done. Now he actually has to go out and do it. That's just what it is. He just has to go out and do it. He has to go out and make the throws, and I know that's so, so, so uh, annoying and frustrating for fans because he's supposed to be the, the greatest thing ever, but he has the ability to make it, and I think at some point it's going to click. So I still feel like at some point it's going to click. Yeah, I, I, I think that's well said. I do too. This is his team. There's not anybody else that that – is threatening to, to take that spot. And if it w- if, if there was, it would have happened at this point, even if there were a handful of drives, we saw Deacon Hill hasn't even traveled yet. We didn't. I was going to say, we did I was going to say, we did not see Deacon well, Hill. Yesterday. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't see Deacon Hill, but we noticed that he was not on the travel roster. Um, obviously Chase Wolf hasn't, hasn't been able to take care of the ball. And, and Danny Vanderboom has been higher than the third string guy. So this is Graham's team. This is his team for the foreseeable future. However long he wants to be here with the assumption that he's going to continue to make those incremental improvements and be the guy that a lot of people believe he can be, even if it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, we probably should touch on the defense. A little I bit. think we should. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is a, a great illustration of the day that Illinois had. They had more first downs by penalty five than they did rushing and passing four. So that, that essentially is what the day was. Arthur Sitkowski, I believe started 0 for 12. 
before yeah. hurting, hitting his first pass. Brandon Peters knocked out of the game. I didn't realize that. I thought they just replaced him, but he was actually knocked out of the game. Brett Bielema said afterwards. So Brandon, Wisconsin has knocked Brandon Peters out of two games for two different teams in his career. They also knocked him out of the Michigan game in 2019. Um, so they've got that going for him. It was a really, really rough, rough afternoon for Illinois passing game. 11 for 34, 67 yards. It was ugly. Their running game, 13 carries, 26 yards, 23 of that coming on one run in the first, late in the first half. It was another dominating effort from Wisconsin's defense for the most part. Obviously, you don't want to see all the penalties. And, you know, to be honest, to be fair, they were penalties. Most of them were. I don't know. I don't know about the uh, the, uh, the the call on Nick Herbig with the roughing the passer. Maybe, yeah, I didn't agree with that. Maybe that one might have been a little rough, but the, the pass interference penalties, I, th- I actually think, were called pretty were called correctly. And that is what's going to happen when you play the type of defense Wisconsin does. A lot of one-on-one on the outside, and uh, guys are going to have to make plays. And uh, I think we're going to continue to see them throw the ball towards his guys and, and either hope for a penalty or hope for a big play. Because right now you cannot run the ball against this Wisconsin defense consistently. Michigan did not do it. Yeah, they had 112 yards, but they didn't. They did not run the ball consistently. It was we're going to just run right into it. We're going to waste some time off this clock. They did not run the ball successfully. No team has run the ball successfully against these guys this year. I just finished a story about this that's going to run Tuesday about the defensive performance overall. But to your point. And I referenced this probably a couple of weeks ago. The numbers change every week, but opponents right now, they're averaging 44 yards rushing per game against Wisconsin this season, which is number one in the FBS. And then 1.62 yards per carry. If that holds, and it's a big if, that'll be the best single season mark of school history. The, the, the number one team is the, that famous 1951 team, 66.8 yards rushing per game and 1.74 yards per carry. So it just speaks to the fact that there are no holes to be found for the most part. You talked about that 23-yard run, but other than that, there was bubkiss. And But I, I go back to a couple different things, and I mentioned this at the outset, the fact that Chris basically challenged the offense to give the defense an opportunity to play with the lead. That has made – I think that made a huge difference. Maybe it wouldn't have mattered a ton against Illinois because the Illini's offense just couldn't do anything. But think about the fact that – the offense could sustain some of those drives. You mentioned there wasn't a 75-yard touchdown run, but honestly, that turned out to be, I think, beneficial for the defense. They could get a rest. The first drive of the game went 18 plays and took almost 10 minutes off the clock. Illinois only ran like six plays in the first quarter, so it allowed the defense to be fresh. The other thing that that stood out in talking to these guys after the game was how well-prepared they were from a a scheme standpoint, and Jim Leonard, his ability to prepare them – because multiple guys talked about how they knew exactly what was coming. They knew what to expect. The only thing they didn't expect was that Illinois actually came out throwing on the first three plays of the game. Um, but all of those passes were incomplete. And then Caesar Williams said they basically went back to exactly who we thought they were. Um, they knew the tendencies. Noah Burks talked about they knew the slide protections that were coming. And I think that showed up. But they've been able to get c- contributions all over the field. You had 10 pass breakups. Four guys had at least two. The big thing is that they haven't been able to turn them into turnovers, which is that's why a big part of why they're last in the country in turnover margin. They haven't been able to take advantage of that. But for the most part, yeah, I think the defense has been excellent, and they showed it again on Saturday. Well, I, 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 while I will agree that they need to you know, get some turnovers, a big reason why they're last in turnover margin is because they turn the, the offense ball. keeps turning the ball over. Yes, they that the certainly ball goes <laughs> 11 <laughs> they, times. Yes, I mean they've they've turned the ball over fourteen times. 
14 in, times. Yes. Their turnover margin is minus 11, which is dead last I mean. still in the FBS. Uh, no one else, I believe, is under. I think the, the second worst is uh, minus 1.67. That's San Jose State. So, yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I, mean, I, 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 I yes, I fully acknowledge that okay. the reason right, the cool. turnover margin is so cool. bad is because but, of the offense. But what I'm no, saying is the defense right. has had a ton of opportunities. And Colin Wilder talked about it too. There were two passes that he should have intercepted. And he said, you know, talk is cheap and I've got to come up and make those plays too. So they haven't been able to generate those takeaways for as good as they've been. And think about how, how games might change if they had. Like say Scott Nelson picks that ball off against Jack Cohn in Notre Dame and he takes it back for a score and all you're up, all of a sudden you're up seven, nothing things. I mean, the game perhaps changes instead. You don't pick it off. You get a short field. You only get a field goal out of that first drive. As, as Paul Chris said, playing with the lead is a little bit different, right? And if uh, they had made some of these plays, say they got Cade McNamara sacked in the back of the, in the, uh, in the end zone for a safety instead of right. missing that sack. Those type of plays are game changers. As good as the defense has been, and they've been fantastic, they have forced three turnovers, three in six, in, uh, in five games. That's certainly obviously not going to get it done. The only, I mean, there's only two teams in the, in the country that, are, that have forced fewer, Coastal Carolina and Purdue. So as good as this defense has been, and they have, they were fantastic again yesterday, they need to make some of those plays and when the ball hits them in the hands. And uh, they certainly have had those chances. But outside of that, really hard to have too much bad to say about them. Yeah. And, and maybe because they've been so good, it's easier to find those things that they haven't done well. But to hold any team, especially in a Big Ten under 100 yards, uh, that is so hard to do. And, and they did it against Illinois. The, the Illini just couldn't do jack. So, and they, and they were sitting at 51 before that final drive, and they ended up with, uh, what was it, 93? So, I mean, they, they, uh, Wisconsin had their chances. Like the, the best defensive performance by Wisconsin defense in a Big Ten game was 66 uh, against Iowa. This was the fourth best performance against a Big Ten team. Again, very, very impressive. It's just one little, one player here or there could change an entire season, as we've seen. Um, you know, it was, it was just a, a play here, a play there, specifically against Notre Dame and against uh, Penn State. That, that could have made a huge, huge difference, but uh, they didn't, so they are what they are. Uh, all right, let's get in a little overreaction or no, and um, we'll start with this this one. These are These are things that, Jesse, these are things that have been texted to me. Oh, tech, not even, not even a call for Twitter? Not even a call for Twitter. I, the Twitter questions we'll get to. These are people. These are things that have been texted to me by people in my life, and I, I'm not proud of it at, at all. <laughs> like I'm not. I'm not proud that I know these people. This but is I'm great. Gonna, but I'm going to at least. I, I'm. I'm going to use them anyways. Overreaction or no? This game doesn't mean anything. Wisconsin's offensive line is still trash. I was going to ask if you were going to uh, change the names to protect the innocent, but you I'm don't. Not, even, didn't even use the names. Not, not <laughs> to use the names. No, no, no names. Overreaction <laughs> uh, or no? So that's that's another thing that I've seen after this game. You know, when you, we're you want to write something and it's praising a team that won twenty four nothing, and the reaction is slow your roll. It's Illinois, and it's like if you're a fan and you get pissed off about they lose when they lose, but then they win, but it's not against a good team, so you're not happy about it. What can you be happy about? Um, I with with the, with the O line. It was a step in the right direction. They did what they needed to do. I'm not going to say that the offensive line is still trash. They just 
this is this is part of what's difficult to put this season into context because they've played three games against top 15 teams and got beaten and didn't look good and then they've dominated two lesser teams so where is Wisconsin as a team, as a program? I mean, they're not where you wanted them to be as a top 15 team, but they're still a good team. And I think that they can do this against most of the teams that they play the rest of the season outside of Iowa. So that was an overreaction. I think so. That was my long diatribe. I'm going to just suggest that you're going to have an over, you're going to say overreaction to all these, but just, you know, that, that was just the kind of uh, text messages that were coming in yesterday. Uh, Overreaction or no. Logan Brown, massive bust. Can't even play over a guy that was a, <laughs> can't even play over a guy that was a turnstile against Michigan. <laughs> um, nah, or no. Sorry, I'm not from Wisconsin. So I didn't, no, didn't it, so right. overreaction or no? It was an. Oh, over- it is an over. Oh no, it's overreaction. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. No, it's it, he's it's still early in his career. There's no shame in being behind a guy who's, you know, played as much as beach has i mean i know people were wondering why he what brown wasn't out there against michigan but there's many years left for that guy and i think he's going to be a multi-year starter for wisconsin at tackle overreaction or no paul chris management of the running backs has been criminal shipper over burger what the f- mm. <laughs> man you came as close to saying that word as you could yep. um well, it's Gary Brown's job to manage the running backs. He's the one in charge. I do find it interesting that when I talk to the running backs and ask them, I always want to know, did you know what your role was going to be coming into the game? Because every week it's been different. And from the sound of it, the answer is no. They, they really don't know. Um, I mean, I, they must have a sense in practice, obviously. But even Braylon Allen talked about that he, he wasn't sure exactly until they got to the stadium and Gary Brown said that you were going to have, he was going to have a more substantial role coming into the game. Jalen Berger talked about that when I was talking to him, that he, he's not sure. He just kind of stands on the sideline and hopes that the coach calls his name. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, maybe that's how it always is. I, I feel like the guy should know what, exactly what the role is going to be. Um, but I don't know. I mean, criminal, uh, that's pretty strong. It is, it is, interesting that every week it's been a little bit different though and it's sort of hard to explain really unless you i mean maybe now brown has found the twosome that he wanted i mean that's what i think it's going to be but I, I can't explain why it's been so different every week so overreaction then i mean all of these are going to be overreaction yeah but I, I i need it on record all right overreaction okay iowa is going to beat the piss out of these guys Overreaction or no? And I and I had to change the word uh, piss. To I had I had to change the two piss to, from something else. I'm gonna say overreaction. It just feels like that no matter what a team is ranked in that matchup, uh, it's generally a close game. You you know what you're gonna get. I I don't think I was gonna roll in here and, and win by twenty plus points. Um, I don't know if Wisconsin can win that game, but I think that there it's. I expect that to be. Decided in the fourth quarter, and no, I don't think I was going to come up in there and and just dominate them, even though they've been great so far. They have been. I, I will say, you know, in we didn't get to watch all of that game. Actually, got to see very little of it uh, outside of the the final, you know, few minutes of it. At least I did. I know you were deep into your writing already, um, but they were down fourteen to three, and I think it was 
what maybe have been 17 to three when Sean Clifford went out. If Sean Clifford doesn't go out, I don't know if Iowa wins that game. I'm um, not sure they do either because their backup quarterback couldn't do anything. I think they got less than 100 yards the rest of the game. It was not pretty whatsoever. So I, I guess I, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, what that looks like. But I, you know what's, you know what is, I mean, they're going to be number two. They're going to be, when we're recording this, the AP poll hasn't come out, but they're going to be number two in the country, uh, Iowa is. And the problem, and, and Georgia, I think, plays a ranked team next week, but I think it's Kentucky and I think it's at home. So I think Georgia is certainly going to be um, number one, even when Iowa comes here. But Iowa gets Purdue this week. They get a week off and then they come to Madison. And I get the feeling that there are going to be a ton, a ton of Iowa people at this game in, in Madison. So we'll see. Get into uh, some of our uh, Twitter questions. This was we were kind of joking about this in the press box, but I'll 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 let Bjorn Nichols get this question in anyways. The only plausible assumption I can come up with regarding Berger is that he is not playing in order to maintain a redshirt this season. Has already played in three games, so next snap would burn that redshirt. Does this make sense to you guys? Uh, next snap would not burn it. He could actually play in one more game, but no, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, and because and even if you did do that, Jalen, that's not part of his plan. I mean, why would you why would you stay if you see where your role is going? So that is technically still a possibility. Um, it's not though. He redshirted last year. Well, last year's a free year. See, but that does it's not actually counted until your senior year, right? So technically, he's a redshirt freshman right now. Yeah, that is that okay. That is true. So it's all a moot point. Yes. You can't redshirt again. No, I, but I, I don't know if he wanted to use the free year, he could, he could not play again this season and still have four years left. Hypothetically. Yeah. Hypothetically. So I guess it's going to be kind of um, pointless. Anyways, uh, South Jersey Pete says, is Danny Davis just not getting open? Why is he not getting any targets? I believe he yeah. went to second straight game without a, without a catch. I was looking, I was actually looking at the box score and I could not believe that he, he didn't get a catch, but you talked earlier, he was running open on the crossing route. So if he gets that pass, that's a touchdown. (laughs) I, your best receiver should get more targets. That was that for an obvious statement. Well, he's gone. He's gone eight catches against Penn state, three against Eastern Michigan, five against Notre Dame has not caught a pass the last two games. And I don't think he's been, uh, he certainly wasn't targeted this past week, but I don't think uh, he was targeted that often against Michigan either. So yeah, I, I imagine he may be getting a little frustrated. I, he was frustrated after, uh, after the uh, Penn state game that he didn't get more opportunities in that one. And he caught eight passes. So that might be, yeah, that, that probably something is maybe to look in on because but you're right. He was. He was wide open. And I have to imagine, based on the way that that play was set up, that it was a perfect setup for, for Danny Davis to be the guy that catches that ball on the crosser. Everyone going left, he you know, brings everybody left. He comes back right, and he was wide open for a touchdown. And, and Graham just had locked into Jim Ray, and it obviously just didn't matter. So uh, we've got some other ones here. Have you ever seen a game in which a team has nine penalties and two turnovers and the other team has zero penalties and zero turnovers. And yet they win by 24. I would probably have to look, but um, no, that was hard to believe. It's one of those, again, you look at the box score and uh, it's kind of like, wow. I mean, four of those penalties were on pass interference calls. Two of them came on the last drive. Smar Melvin and Dante Burton each got flagged. The Nick Herbig penalty was questionable at best. Um, yeah. The stats are sort of wild. But the most 
important one other than 24 nothing 491 to 93 they just they destroyed illinois and had the ball almost the whole game so it sort of negated any mistakes wisconsin made Richard says, was the O-line significantly improved performance primarily a result of an inferior opponent, a new right tackle, more Allen at running back, or a combination of all the above? Um, I don't know if having the new right tackle, like I, it's, I'm not a, a grader of offensive line play, so it's hard to say that Bordellini was the spark. It's probably some of the other things. It was an inferior opponent. <laughs> that, that's obvious. And I think Braylon Allen does bring something different, uh, a little extra. If you give him the ball in a short yard situation, he's going to get the first down, and he's got a nice burst. So I think it was a couple different things. I'm not sure, though, how much it was Logan Bress is out and Tanner Bordellini's in. Kudos, by the way, to, to Bordellini. I think you know we haven't talked about him, that he can play every position on the line. The guy started at center last year, and now he's a tackle. Hadn't played very much this season, came in and played well. Speaks to uh, – speaks to his versatility and also just the talent that's there with some of the young guys, which I know is another one of those storylines that you hear ad nauseum, but I do think that the future looks good for the O-line. Chris says, why does Jack Dunn get playing time over Marcus Allen with three losses? Why not play the guy who can develop instead of the ninth year senior? Well, Allen didn't travel and neither did Skylar Bell. So that's Alvis Witted would know more about, who he can trust and what he's seen in practice since we haven't seen anything since the second week in August or Dunn is just, <laughs> yeah, Dunn is just a guy that they trust that, that they, I, I mean, I don't know, like Dunn is forever going to be a guy that's that some fans cannot believe he's in the game. And I'm not saying he should be in the game over, over other people or be getting jet sweeps over <laughs> potential carries for other guys, but they just, they trust him and he's been in the program a long time. And <laughs> that's part of why he plays. Slacknick says uh, defense played basically perfect. They were great, but is it a fair complaint to say they need to be more opportunistic? You can't drop four interceptions against better teams. Maybe that's unfair to say. I don't know. Completely fair to say. Um, and we talked about it before. And it's also fair to say because all of the guys on defense acknowledge that. You talk to anybody after the game against Illinois, and even in a comment about how well they played, the next comment was consistently about that they haven't been able to force turnovers and generate takeaways. So that is totally fair. Uh, how long before uh, Gasman asks, how long before Burger transfers to Rutgers? <laughs> um, I don't know the, I don't know the answer to that, but, uh, and again, it, you know, we're, we don't want to predict what's going to happen for a, you know, a, a college kid and make what decision he's going to make. I don't know. Sometimes yeah. they stay, sometimes they go. But it is hard to see what the path forward is for Jalen to get the types of touches that he believed he was going to get coming into the season. I think that is fair to say. Yeah. Jeff says, uh, if the defense gives up zero points versus Iowa, can the offense score enough to win? <laughs> yes. I think somewhere along the way, there will be a field goal. <laughs> I, I, again, what we saw yesterday with Penn State, just the interceptions. I mean, even Clifford threw a couple. Though I will say, uh, I think there was at one point through the first quarter that uh, Spencer's Peters had a zero passer rating and, uh, uh, Clifford had a, like a 57 rating. He had two interceptions. So, I think Peters started one for nine. Yeah. He was just slightly better than, <laughs> than, uh, Arthur Sitkowski. You know, Wisconsin was in on Ar- Arthur Sitkowski before he actually went to, uh, Rutgers. Uh, they, he was, um, yeah, either way. 
we'll get uh, oh Tony wants is anyone looking to cancel jump around versus army it's been bad luck and energize <laughs> the opponent the last two games that makes no sense at all <laughs> just abandon a 20 plus year tradition hey you want the other team to be still uh, go play good football you know exactly you know how quickly that and I don't want to jinx it but you know how quickly that game's going to go next week Oh, uh, yes. I also don't want to jinx it. It's like talking about a no-hitter to a pitcher in the eighth inning. Right. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say any more other than that the two teams are among the nation's leaders in time of possession and run the ball a lot, and uh, that's all I'll say. Army ranks second in the country in rushing with 318 yards. Wisconsin's, we've talked about, their, their rushing defense. Army's rushing defense, though, third in the country, and they're only giving up 2.4 uh, yards per carry. Six touchdowns. I don't know how many. Uh, I mean, guys aren't necessarily running against them a ton, but um, yeah, I beat. Uh, I think Grams may have to throw a ball or two next week to to get a win. I, this is. I mean, it's crazy. Wisconsin going to be a favorite in that game, but uh, Army with the with the uh, type of offense they run is potentially potentially going to give Wisconsin some trouble. Right? I would agree. Yes, I, I think it's a possibility because you. It's was the triple option, right? That's. Yeah. Is that what I mean? You don't see that most right. of the time. What I will say, I mean, Army is is four and one. It's also they play Georgia State, Western Kentucky, Yukon, Miami of Ohio, and Ball State. So take that into consideration with those numbers as well. But for a 7 p.m. game, I could not be more pleased with this particular matchup. <laughs> uh Badger Local says, was last year's performance too heavily discounted due to COVID? And should we have come have seen this season coming? No, I don't think we should have seen this season coming. And I assume that question is just about the offense. Um, no, I, I mean, last year was so bizarre and it was bizarre for everybody, but this year was a clean slate and you had so many guys back. So I, I could be in the minority, but I don't think I am, which is why it's been such a talking point. We did not expect it to be this challenging. How bizarre. Our friend Bart asks, did this game move the needle at all? And it's, it's the QB versus it's the O-line debate. I think it kind of did. Ah, in terms of it's more of the QB than the O-line. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, in the losses, they've both been poor. So, yeah. Well, he, he, he followed up because Andy, uh, Andy asked him, like, you know, what, what, in what sense? He was just curious. Seemed like the O-line was pretty dominant against inferior competition and the QB was pretty pedestrian. Moves my prior mm-hmm. in this debate that, that uh, the bigger problem is QB though he, he said he already thought that. Uh, um, did it move the needle? Maybe slightly. I don't know. I mean, like we talked about before, I think everyone is still waiting for Graham to play at a higher level. But it, yeah, I've been surprised. And, and in both those wins against inferior competition, as I said before, he wasn't asked to do much, but he also hasn't necessarily delivered a ton of those throws. So Maybe, I guess, is my answer on that one. I mean, the line has done its job in those two wins, but we, we've got to see more on both fronts. And I think, I mean, I, I'm just going to go on record. I, I think that Wisconsin loses, like, I'll, no more than two games, but I'll say they lose one game the rest of the way. Hmm. I think the West sucks other than Iowa. I'm just going to say it. I don't care. You, well, you, said, it, you said it multiple times yesterday. Yeah. So maybe that maybe that means I'm thinking Graham will play better. Um, I just 
don't have much confidence in that division. And Wisconsin generally beats the teams it's supposed to. So that's what I think. I thought uh, Nebraska kind of showed some life against Michigan last night. Yeah, they did. I mean, they also snatched uh, victory. What is it? De- they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Like bad teams find ways to lose and they fumbled the ball and lost. So yeah, almost don't matter. I'm sorry. And uh, we'll finish up with this one. I thought it was a good one for Manny. He says, you're the offensive coordinator and there's an opening, Jesse. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, and you want to get Mertz going early. What kind of plays do you call to get him going? Seems like he doesn't have the go-to throw or play he likes. He's curious on your thoughts. I feel like it's short or intermediate throws. I don't know exactly what it is. And I'm I feel like he loves it to Jake Ferguson. I think he yeah, throw a slant and throw it to Jake Ferguson. I think he loves a slant. I think he loves the little uh, the little quick hook from Ferguson. You know, I the deep out that he not even a deep out, but a, a long out to that he threw to Chimray for the first down. Like that may have been his best throw yesterday. I think it came right after the Jake Ferguson throw, and it was uh you know it was third and two, and he threw a little four yard pass, but it was all the way to the like they were on one side in the and they went to the field side, and it was a long throw, and he made it and was right where it needed to be, and Chimray had the first down. There are a couple throws that he makes, but I I think he loves slant against man. For sure. And uh, yes, and finding Jake Ferguson just standing in the middle of the field. But I, I don't know necessarily <laughs> if those are if those are easy things to get him going either. You know what I mean? I don't like think a, so, because so, I think of the Michigan game or the uh, sorry, the Notre Dame game, the two pixie through. They were slants to Pryor, who was the man beater. So I don't know. Yeah, it's difficult. I think the, the thing to get him going is the running game. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think the, the running, getting the running game going, which means slowing down the pass rush because you can't just tee off, uh, give, maybe gives him some time. But he, he didn't have a good game. And I, again, I don't know. He had to do, he said he had to do a lot to get uh, ready for that game, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with his ribs. And, or I should say, his chest injury. I don't necessarily, you know, I can't say ribs, but uh, with his injury, he had to do a lot this week to be even able to play. So I don't know. If he was uh, hampered by that, he he kind of said he wasn't, but I don't think he's gonna. He's not a guy that makes excuses, so I don't think he, even if uh, you know he's not gonna say that had anything to do with it. But I think it's a, it's a good point. I don't necessarily think that there are a lot of things that get him going uh, that are easy throws. Now we saw a couple of dump offs to the running backs. I think those mm-hmm. could potentially be good, especially if you get it in the hands of Chez or or Braylon. Not necessarily again, nothing against Brady, but like. I feel like Braylon and Orchez on that quick, you know, on that third down play that, uh, that, uh, shipper picked it up. Yeah. He just, he just tried to outrun the guy cause it was, it was going for the first down. I feel like the other two perhaps try and make the guy miss and, uh, make it into an even bigger play. But again, they needed the first down in that situation. That's what he got, but get in your hand, get it in your guys' hands quickly and let them work in space. Like that to me is probably the best thing for him. It's just, they just, to this point, I don't think they found what could potentially get him going early. I think that's that's all fair. I'm glad you brought up the injury too. And I think early in warmups, we were wondering whether he was going to play just because he didn't go through at the at the normal times that he does. Yeah. What? So the, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I, it turns out I have not been uh, paying attention to Graham uh, well enough before games. Okay. So I because 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 I asked him about that. I'm like, did you go get put through like an extensive workout before the game? Uh, and he's like, yeah, that's something I've been trying to do this year. Um, and so he's been, you know, 
he goes, yeah, my, the, the, I'm like, hey, you were running pretty hard doing like these 40 yard sprints. And he's like, yeah, just, you know, just something new. I'm trying this year, trying to get loose and get the shirt all sopping wet and, you know, sw- sweating and that type of stuff. I don't necessarily know the reason for it as the quarterback, but yeah, apparently uh, his warm up was pretty much the same as he's been doing all year. Okay, then that's that. <laughs> but um, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I, that's just pure evidence that I have not been getting the games early <laughs> enough. Uh, but I do there, think it's a, <laughs> to, to be there two hours before and, and seeing him warm up. Uh, that you're not missing anything for the most part, but I do think it's a good point about getting, getting the ball in the hands quickly of your playmakers. And if Isaac Arendo is healthy enough, he adds to that. If Gary Brown ever decides to play Jalen Berger again, uh, he can do that too. So um, we haven't seen much of it, but that is an element that is available. I think. Yeah, for sure. Until next time. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from the athletic. You've been listening to the camp. We're on the Wisconsin sports zone radio network.